The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We face a disintegrating economy, a weakened defense, and an energy policy based on the sharing of scarcity. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. Good morning. Well, we've got a little bit of economic news coming out that we've got to talk about this morning. Of course, the Dow finished a positive territory yesterday. Looks like all the indices are going to end up. Looks like the market's going to be up. We'll see uh, what how it goes as we go through the day. Of course, the only thing that really matters, it seems, is the last, ha- last half hour of the trading day. But nonetheless, uh, that's where we are. Should be a good day. Uh, one of the things, well, let me get to that. Let me just tell you this. Right now, it looks like, uh, you know, remember me, I don't know if it was yesterday, I think it was the day before yesterday, it was today, Thursday, so Tuesday, I was talking about bailouts, Eurozone bailing out uh, Greece once again, and I talked about this sometime, I said it, it's obviously going to rear its ugly head, and sure enough, Greece looks like they've signed on to the agreements uh, or agreements that are necessary or the things that they need to do, more austerity measures. I don't know what else they can do, but more austerity measures. The problem is, and I talked about this for years, I said it right after the very first bailout of Greece. I said, remember, you're bailing out something that a, a country, a small country that really doesn't possess the ability to pay back the loan. So why don't you, Eurozone, give give the uh, uh, nation of Greece, give them money that will help them get back on their feet because it's the only thing that is truly going to help them. If you don't do that, you're going to be faced with additional bailouts over and over again. Well, here we go. So they started that. Looks like there's more bailouts coming into Greece. Why does it matter? It really doesn't matter. It's relatively insignificant. I mean, it does. I mean, it matters to the Eurozone. It's not going to have much of an impact on us. And it may go uh, fairly unnoticed if they didn't bail them out. But nonetheless, they Greece has an inability to pay the interest on all the loans from all the bailouts that they've had so far. This is going to add to that. They, their GDP of Greece is tourism. That's about it. There's not a whole lot there. Now, they have cut dramatically government services, retirement services, different things that they give to the people. They've cut a lot of that. I don't know if there's room uh, to cut. It's not as if you can take a nanny state like Greece and say, oh, by the way, you all have to go get jobs. There are no jobs. It's limited. So anyway, that's that's one situation I talked about. it. Now, it looks like we are in for our own bailout situation, a little bit different. But it looks like Puerto Rico is going to be ending up in bankruptcy court maybe today. Puerto Rico's requesting bankruptcy protection. Now, remember, General Motors did that. That was okay. That was part of an Obama administration. The governor of Greece is 
now setting up somewhat of a showdown between Wall Street and billions of dollars of large U.S. municipal debt. I can remember 10 years ago in some of my institutional accounts, maybe 12 years ago, owning a significant portion of um, municipals of Puerto Rico. They all since have come due, and their credit ratings has dropped significantly, so don't own any of it. But let me just put it in perspective for you. The largest municipal debt bankruptcy that America has ever seen happened in 2013. Now, remember 2013. Remember what I said. Detroit City, the city of Detroit, in 2013. So, you've got the city of Detroit, which President Obama needed desperately for support and wanted and and uh, got. And it was during this administration. So this debt or this bankruptcy went pretty much unnoticed, untalked about, and mainstream media, I'm sure, was directed not to talk a whole lot about it. And they didn't. But I just want to put things in perspective. That was the largest uh, municipal bankruptcy in the history of the nation. And it was $18 billion, $18 billion. That's pretty significant, $18 billion. In comparison, Puerto Rico has debt of $73 billion dollars, 73 billion dollars. That's five times. So significant debt, this is going to be on Wall Street. Could this impact financials? It depends. It depends on how far it goes and where it goes and how it's going to impact and whether the United States is going to allow some of the defaults or bail out some of the defaults. It's a lot of money. So we're going to watch that closely because it certainly could impact some of the financials on Wall Street. So I wanted to give you that news um, because it is, uh, from a financial perspective, a pretty significant piece of news. I don't know if we're going to hear a whole lot about it in the financial news networks or in the writings of the financial news, but nonetheless, it is what it is. I would suspect uh, maybe today, maybe after lunchtime today or later, check out uh, an article. I'll send it out on Twitter if it is posted, but I submitted an article uh, for uh, Town Hall, townhall.com, largest conservative media site in the country. Uh, You know I write for them, and uh, it's an article in reference to some of the things that are going on, some of the things that we've got to be careful about, what is happening from a political perspective to the Trump administration and our inability and incompetence uh, primarily of the Republican Party and what we need to do. So you might find that article interesting. So uh, you can look for that in Town Hall. 
townhall.com. That'll also be on my website once it is posted on Town Hall, and it'll be in our newsletter as well this week, but you can check that out. Um, initial jobless claims came in, and they sank 19,000. That is a significant drop. This is first-time unemployment claims. It seems to be going down dramatically. We had unit labor costs for the first quarter go up 3%. That is a significant increase. A lot of that, yes, I will say, a lot of that is due to uh, health care costs. Health care costs around the country for employers went up dramatically, and that certainly is a part of that. But also, we cannot discount the fact that a part of that is wage increases. And we have seen wages go up a bit. That is very good news. And then we get uh, first quarter output increase by 1%. That also good news. Productivity, this is bad news, did drop a half of 1%. Not huge, but nonetheless, uh, it did drop a bit. And uh, we've got a we've got to take a look at that, but nonetheless. But U.S. imports fell. Uh, seven-tenths of one percent, but exports increased, or I'm sorry, dropped as well, nine-tenths of one percent. Trade deficit dropped one-tenth of one percent, so I, I guess that's good news. It is, it is a drop, uh, and that is something that we should, we should look at. There was some specific news I'm looking for on um, Mexico trade deficit. I'll get to that right after this break. If you want to cue your co-op, I've got some other economic data here that I want to talk about. Uh, But if you want to cue your co-op, now would be the time to do it. 866-300-9298. All our lines are open. 866-300-9298. Or give me your question on YouTube. And we'll be back after this. In the book of Isaiah, the word tells us the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. In the same way, without careful planning, your financial goals could blow away like the seeds of a dandelion. It's never too early or too late to consider how a charitable gift annuity can help you meet the financial goals you've set for your loved ones, your causes, and yourself. Give AFA Foundation a call at 800-326-4543, extension 345, or visit our website, afafoundation.net. Let us explain how a charitable gift annuity can help you achieve your goals. As we read in Proverbs, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Our phone number again is 800-326-4543, extension 345, and our website is afafoundation.net. On Truth For Life, we've been conducting an in-depth study of the fruit of the Spirit and how it manifests itself in our daily lives. This week, we'll conclude our study and begin a new series on parenting God's way. Listen weekdays to Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. Hi, this is Dan Celia. I sure would appreciate it if you would consider partnering with me in the Ministry of Financial Issues. You'll have access to my stock picks that come out every Monday along with my commentary. You'll get access to our conference call that I do with our partners once a month, our alert system that I send out as often as necessary, and many other strategies on the website. 
go to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Siri. It's great to be here. 866 392 right, well, here's what's happening. First of all, I'm going to thank Alvin uh, on, on our YouTube uh, for your comments and your prayers. I sure do appreciate that. Uh, that's an encouragement. Thank you. Um, so initial jobless claims, as I mentioned, went down. So hours worked per week. Well, I'm going to come back to that. But, but uh, productivity is down a little bit, yes. Uh, trade deficit, as I mentioned, down one-tenth of 1%. Now, I know there was some specific information in reference to Mexico, and, and apparently, I left it in the office. So, anyway, I didn't get, um, I don't, don't have it with me, so I, I won't comment on it. But uh, oil prices are pulling back as well. Uh, due to the latest U.S. supply data, and this triggers fresh new concerns. No, only fresh new concerns if you don't listen to this program. For you and I and all of those uh, uh, other thing, uh, other people that listen to this program, listen, we, we don't have fresh new concerns because we have the same concerns that we have. But, but uh, crude futures dropped uh, this morning based on data coming um, uh, out indicating that uh, OPEC countries and Russia aren't making a dent in the elevated global supplies. Do you think? No kidding. That is likely uh, to consider. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the top of the next hour. Listen, what I want to mention about the data that's come out is hours worked per week up 1.6%. Folks, I got to tell you, this is for the first quarter. I have been waiting 10 years. I'm not kidding. It's not an exaggeration. I have been waiting 10 years to say that. Hours worked up 1.6%. Here's why. I We have been talking about hours worked per week being the same number for eight years. Eight years. And it is one of the arguments that I've used to say that it is literally impossible for us to be at a four and a half percent unemployment rate. It is literally impossible for us to be anywhere near full employment, which is what that would be. And this was one of the indicators, hours worked per week, that I used. I also used this to say that there is no way on God's green earth that we are anywhere near recovery in the, in the economy over the last eight years. And I pointed to several reasons why that is not, not that it's unlikely. I didn't point out to why this is unlikely. I pointed out why this was an impossibility. It wasn't even close to being accurate. 
And the reason I used hours worked per week, we are never, ever going to have recovery. We are not going to be in a robust hiring mode until we see hours work per week continuing to increase. And when we get to the place where hours worked per week reach about 42 and and are sustainable in there between 42 and 44 hours per week, we will not see robust job growth. The reason for that, it will take a sustainable level of over 40 hours work per week before companies say, we've got to cut out this overtime hours, it's costing us too much money, and we've got to begin to hire more people to get the work done. Then we will see robust economy. We will not see a recovering economy when we see a stagnation of hours worked per week at 34. Now, President Obama's new normal was 30 hours worked per week. That was a new normal. That was part of his lowering the bar of expectations of economic growth. So I get that. So you might say, well, 34 hours is pretty good if the new normal's 30 or four hours above. No, l- listen. That's the Obama normal. The reality of normal is still 40 hours work per week. And that is the normal that we need, we employees need, to begin to provide a better situation for their family and have a little bit of discretionary income. And we're wondering why we never had real recovery. We never had real recovery because we never had any discretionary income. Because between health care expenses, out-of-pocket expenses, large deductibles, all of those things in and around health care, it was eating up our discretionary income or creating so much fear that we were hoarding our discretionary income for fear of we were going to have these expenses. So to see hours worked per week for the first quarter up 1.6% is a very good number. And about of all the numbers I am going to see coming out of first quarter, this is just me and I'm the only one that's a little goofy and thinks like this, but that's the number that I'm most excited about. 1.6%. You're not going to hear even mention of this, let alone anybody getting excited over it. But nonetheless, it's very good news, very good news for the future of the economy. Now, having said that, this would be one of the reasons, I don't know this, she did not say this. But it's got to be one of the reasons why Janet Yellen yesterday kind of gave a thumbs up in reference to the American economy. She did everything but come right out and say, I've never felt so good about the future of the American economy. She did indicate and gave signaled in a, as a, a non-political um non-excitable way that 
she had, or I should say maybe the Federal Reserve, was somewhat or maybe even uh, considerably confident about the direction of the American economy. Now, look, during the last seven, eight years, there was always, even when we got out of the so-called recession, I don't think we ever got out of it, but got out of the recession, there was some reserved confidence, reserved confidence. And let me give you my reason for why it was reserved and why it was not really confidence at all. If it was really confidence that the mark, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that the economy was going to be strong, then they would have raised interest rates. So the fact is, how many times did we hear the Federal Reserve say in the last eight years, well, yes, um, things are good. The unemployment rate is down, but we still have slack in the employment force. In other words, she was basically saying, yeah, it's down because she was, um, she probably wasn't basically saying this or he, whether it was Ben Bernanke, but I was extrapolating from that, that, Hey, look, unemployment rate is down, but the numbers are manipulated. The labor participation rate is tanking and that would bring the unemployment rate down. And that's really why it was down, had nothing to do with a thriving economy. That's what was going on for the last eight years. Now she's saying just the opposite. Now she's verbally uh, indicating that she's very confident about the American economy. It's got nothing to do with the markets. And so, therefore, she is saying that two more interest rate hikes will, in fact, be justified, even though they left things alone yesterday. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. So... We want to see interest rate hikes, and we want to know that they're coming because it leads us to believe that even the indicators that the Federal Reserve are looking at, a lot of those being the same indicators that I'm looking at on a regular basis, it gives me a pause for some confidence or, or maybe confirmation of some of the things that I've been saying for a very long time. All right. So anyway, um, that's, that's my... Thoughts on where we're heading, all good stuff coming out. By the way, European stocks are flirting right now with a 21-month high. It's good news. Very good earnings coming out of Europe. All right, let me go to phones. Let me go to Dean. Dean's calling us from Texas. Hey, Dean, good morning. Good morning, Dan. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a question about our family trust that I'd like to ask you about it. It is in a Schwab brokerage account, and most of it is in a money market account. Uh, Our mother lives in a skilled nursing facility, um, and fortunately, almost all of it is being paid for by a uh, long-term care insurance plan, which has probably another few years to go before it's exhausted. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about options of what we can do with that money in the, in the family trust uh, that will we'll do better than money market rates for the time when that the long-term care money does run out. 
mm-hmm. uh, to, to help bridge the gap there. And we've asked you before about preferred stocks, and uh, that's a good uh, idea. And the advisors at Schwab, they have suggested using uh, municipal bonds that that currently are yielding about 4% as another option to uh, to help out with that with that yep. situation. Just wanted to run that by you. Well, I mean, I think it's okay. I mean, municipal bonds, um, as long as they're individual bonds, and uh, I guess they're thinking they want to develop a municipal bond portfolio. Uh, I'm not. I'm not against that. Uh, totally, if four percent is going to be enough, uh, I would not be against that. Um, I think some municipal bonds have fallen out of favor. Uh, certainly have with me, but uh, it's a good strategy. It's a biblically responsible strategy. And uh, I would be okay with it. Uh, I I would probably uh, complement that with some other investments. Maybe I'll bring that up right after this break. Uh, but good stuff. Thanks, Dean. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dan Celia for Financial Issues. You know, we live in some volatile times, and one of the things that we should be concerned about is are the investments that I'm in honoring the Lord? Well, I try to do the best I can to make sure that the stocks and mutual funds on my list are the best out there, not only from a financial and fundamental standpoint, but that they wouldn't be displeasing to God. Would you consider being a partner with me at Financial Issues? For $85 a year, you're not only going to get my stock picks that I update every week, every Monday, and my economic commentary every Monday, along with an alert system and my asset allocation models that change as the economy changes so that you can do a great job reviewing and maybe actively managing your portfolios. Financialissues.org to partner with me in the ministry. How would you describe your health care? If you're like most Americans these days, the word affordable isn't top of mind. Well, here's some good news. There's actually a trusted health care option that is affordable. It's called MediShare. Unlike insurance, MediShare is Christian health care sharing, a community of more than 200,000 believers across America who share each other's medical expenses. It's about half the cost of insurance, and it's fully acceptable under the law. And here's the best part. Because MediShare is based on biblical principles, you never pay for things that go against your beliefs. MediShare is affordable health care for Christians. Learn how thousands of Christians can help you save on your health care. For your free information guide, call 855-PSALM-23. Now available in Montana. MediShare, affordable biblical health care. Call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. Truth Be Told with Nate Kellum, Chief Counsel at the Center for Religious Expression. Nebraska recently repealed an old law banning public school teachers from wearing religious garments at school. One of the legislative sponsors of the repeal explained that under the old law, if he saw a teacher wearing a necklace with a cross, he was supposed to report her to the police so they could suspend her for one year for a first offense and then fire her if she was ever caught again. The old law was blatantly unconstitutional. Teachers shouldn't have to mask their religious identity or risk losing their job. Teachers are citizens, too, and have First Amendment rights. 
just like students. They don't lose them at the schoolhouse gate. Truth Be Told, from the Center for Religious Expression, clearing the path for truth. Hear more at CRElaw.org, CRElaw.org. Welcome back. Financial Issues, I'm Dan Celia, 866-392-98. I was talking to uh, Dean from Texas. Dean, so, you know, I think the municipal bond strategy, you know, obviously what you've got to do, I would start sooner rather than later, but you've got, what you've got to do is you've got to start generating income inside that portfolio, even though you're not necessarily using that income. But I think it's a good idea to build it up, let it build up in the money market account, uh, have that money working for you. Uh, and if you can get it working for you, first thing I would do is look at the entire pot of money that you have. So let's say in that trust, there's, you know, whatever amount of money is. And let's just say that you, you guys obviously have a pretty good feel for how much her monthly costs are, her annual costs, I should say. And I would look at and say, okay, what kind of percentage would all of this money have to earn in order to... Uh, pay those expenses without dipping into principal, and I would so and, and I say that's an important exercise for you to do, uh, Dean, so that you have an uh, uh, an idea. You know, you have that kind of tucked away, and you get it, and you understand what it's going to take. So, I think that you need to do that first off, and then start beginning to develop a strategy. The reason why uh, municipal bonds bother me a little bit is because municipal bonds are no longer truly municipal bonds. They're more debt bonds because um, there was a day when municipal bonds funded things like hospitals and schools, sewage treatment plants, bridges, things that were um, backed by physical assets. Now, most municipal bonds being issued are issued to generate income so that they can pay the debt on those old municipal bonds. And some of them are three issues deep. So they issued a municipal bond to build a hospital. They couldn't afford to pay the interest on it. Then they ordered, uh, uh, issued another municipal bond to pay the interest on that municipal bond. Now they're issuing another municipal bond to pay the interest on the on the bond that is used to pay the interest on the first municipal bond. It's crazy. And if that card, if that house of cards uh, falls, then they're going to go under in a heartbeat. Nothing's going to survive because it's going to be impossible. Whenever you use debt to pay debt, it's never a good thing. And municipal bonds are the state's printing press. We always talk about the government owning a printing press and they just print money. Well, so do the states and the states it's called municipal bonds or, you know, and they're maybe not just municipalities, they're county, they're state and whatever, but that is their printing press. So, so, so many municipal bonds today are just a means to print money so that they have the money to pay the debt on money they've already printed that they printed to have money to pay the debt on the hospital. I mean, it goes on and on. So uh, I've lost a lot of faith in municipal bonds. And um, of course, of course, you, if you've listened to me for any length of times, uh, time, you know that credit rating 
agencies are probably the most comical um, instrument in all of the financial world. And I, I, I really mean comical. It is laughable. They're laughable. Um, the ratings agencies, it's just a joke. So I have zero confidence. I always did, but had, uh, even more so after 2008, when Lehman brothers was rated a rated before they went back the day before they went bankrupt. So it was AIG. And I, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. So you've got, let me see. I've got Lehman Brothers paying me to rate their bonds. So let me see. What am I going to rate them? I'm going to tell them they're junk. I don't think so. That's not going to be good for business. I mean, it's all joke. It's all, it's, you know, I I, I actually heard Moody's once uh, say, actually said in public that they rated Lehman Brothers based on some assumptions they made six months before they went bankrupt. The assump- one of those assumptions was the government's going to bail them. It was based on assumptions. So a ratings agency now is in rating based on the hard financials of a company. It's a joke. So, so Schwab might say to you, well, you know, it's an A-rated bond. Okay, well, so was Lehman Brothers. So was AIG. Uh, you know, so on and on it goes. I could name others, but anyway. So, um, but again, it's fairly low risk. And if you decide that, hey, you know what? If on this portfolio we earned three and a half percent, three and a half percent would be plenty to support the skilled nursing facility, then look, I wouldn't take a lot of risk, but I would have a mix of municipal bonds, utility stocks, uh, preferred stocks. I would have a list of uh, maybe some very large company, even growth stocks that are producing very good dividends. Uh, I would look at all of those things uh, to generate income for the portfolio. I wouldn't just do municipal bonds. Anyway, hope that helps. 866-300-9298, 866-300-9298. So uh, if you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do that. Um, Somebody on YouTube, uh, Michael, has asked, uh, he says, I just purchased my first home. I'm 24 years old, happily married. Um, Considering a Roth IRA or investing in land, my focus is retirement and staying biblically responsible. Wow. Great stuff. Great heart. uh, And you're you're thinking uh, right. I like the idea of uh, agricultural land, Michael. So if it's tillable land, then, then that is okay to a certain extent. You've got to do some money in your Roth IRA, though, as well, because here's what happens. For instance, I talk to farmers, some third-generation farmers on a regular basis that are worth $3 million and, and don't have any income. So you you always you know land is wonderful but you don't want to only be land rich in your retirement because th- though you have a high net asset worth you don't have any income coming in and you can't create income. Oh, well, I shouldn't say you can create it. You can rent it by leasing your tillable land. That's good. You can sell some of it 
and turn it into cash and then use that to generate income. Or you could be investing in real estate rental properties, which would be the best way to just know that you're going to be able to generate some income. So there are ways you can generate income, but I don't want you or anybody else to be in a situation where all of a sudden I'm 60 years old, I'm ready to retire, and I am uh, would be considered uh, by a lot of people wealthy because I have a lot of land and the land's worth a lot of money, uh, but you can't get any income. It's like having a million dollars worth of gold. Well, that's nice. I got a million dollars worth of gold. And your dividends from the gold are what? Well, I don't get any dividend. So do you get any income? No. But it's shiny and it looks pretty and it's heavy and, you know, whatever. But it's not getting me any income. So I got all this gold, but I can't get any income from it. The only way I can get income from it is sell it. And then it's going to cost me 30%, 40%. I've heard as high as 60%. I've only seen as high as 40%. I'm going to sell it and, you know, take give them my 40% and use the cash that I sell it for to generate some income. So I would just say, be very careful as you look into the future. You're young. You've got a lot of time. But so I love the idea of you owning. I think there is opportunity for appreciation of that land that you might be able to sell someday for a significant amount of money, particularly if it's tillable land, if it's agricultural land or, or uh, you know, ranch kind of land. I think it's always good, and there's something something to be uh, thinking about. But I, but I do want you to have a Roth IRA account. I think it's very important, Michael, that you have an IRA account and you begin the discipline of a little bit of money every payday or whenever coming out of your checking account going into that Roth IRA. And I mean a little bit of money. You don't even have to do a lot because you're so young. But, you know, if you had $50 a month going into an IRA account at some point in time, a Roth IRA, I think you'd do great. And you can have an opportunity inside that IRA account. You can do it at Timothy Plan, for instance. If you want to keep it simple, just be biblically responsible. And you can put that $50 a month into uh, 10% of it into an emerging market fund and 10% into an Israel fund and 10% into a small cap fund, and maybe even 10% into their international fund, and the rest of it into their U.S. large cap stock growth fund, so that every time you put $10 in, it's going to get divided up like that, and you do that on a regular basis. If you do that, man, you're going to be in great shape someday for your retirement. So I want you to... um, I'm okay with land, but you can't just do that. Um, you've got to figure out a way to uh, uh, do a little bit of of uh, each, and I think that'll work out fine for you. Let me go. Uh, by the way, our phone lines are open, 866-300-9298. Let me go to Jerry. Jerry calling us from North Carolina. Hey, Jerry. Hey, good morning, Dan. It's, good morning. Thank you for all the work you do for us. You're welcome. I've talked to you before about got something you know, wanted to talk to you about. I'm 57 years old, and I've been uh, working and saving for about 30 years now. i got a pretty good nest egg saved up. A few years ago, Mom and Dad passed away, and I watched my sister and my daughter squander and blow away everything they'd worked for. They left them in just a few months. Wow. Now, are there any kind of trust 
I get a little bit older, maybe and pass away, or any kind of trust, I can put that put them some kind of inheritance in. Yes. So they just get a little bit of money every month without them getting it all at once and blowing uh, it all. I hate to see things yep, yep. blowing all what closes. Jerry, I got a great idea for you, and I've used it a lot, seen it used a lot. So I'll share that with you right after the break. We'll be right back. Is God calling you to pursue theological graduate education? What's keeping you from taking the first step? Is it time? What if you could choose from flexible class options? Is it money? What if competitively priced seminary offered academic scholarships? Do you think you're alone? What if your classmates were just like you, balancing careers and families with seminary? Hello, I'm Dr. John Nyhoff, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Take the first step. Visit wbs.edu. EngageMagazine.net has rich articles inviting you into great dialogue for any stage of life. Here's Teddy James. The things that we value, there's no difference between the generations at all. We value hard work. We value family. We value values. Those things are true across generational lines. We don't want you thinking about Engage. Our heart is to get you to see the heart of God. Go to EngageMagazine.net and join the discussion. Dan Celia of Financial Issues. You know, there's probably never been a more important time in our economy to be thinking about a charitable gift annuity. I hope you'll do that just to shore up, to firm up some more income, permanent income, income that you can count on for the rest of your life while you're doing the Lord's work. A charitable gift annuity has been something I've been talking about for 25 years. Finally, we're seeing even mainstream start to get on board with the merits of charitable gift annuities. I hope you'll consider it. You can call the AFA Foundation. Someone there will help you work through the details and find out whether you qualify for a charitable gift annuity. Call and speak with a representative of the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia, uh, 866-392-98. If you want to cue your call, you're welcome to do that. Um, you, you can certainly do that right now. All the indices uh, pretty much mixed, flat, not a lot of movement, not a lot of volatility. Uh, one of the things, uh, I put this out on Twitter this morning. You maybe have seen it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Financial Issues, if you do, uh, and you may have seen this. But Goldman Sachs is calling for gold to drop to 1200 uh, they're saying the stronger dollar obviously uh, has impacted that, and it's going to continue to impact that, particularly in light of the fact of what the Federal Reserve said yesterday, uh, indicating uh, some some a lot of confidence in the future of the economy. So Goldman Sachs um, could be uh, could be right, but they're talking about uh, gold at twelve hundred here uh, in the next couple of months, and maybe sooner than that, but. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Jerry, one of the things that you want to do, and listen, I, you know, uh, as someone who owned a trust company for a lot of years and set up a lot of trust, a lot of wills, seen uh, walk through a lot of uh, inheritances uh, for, for people and families and such, one of the things that I always recommended 
uh, even 20 years ago, I mean, or, or longer, 29, 30 years ago, I always recommend it to people because sometimes people would say, I don't know what to do. I've got all this money. If I give it to uh, this particular child, um, they're going to have it for the rest of the life and probably leave it to their children. If I give it to this other child, they're going to rip through it in about six months and have nothing. And I don't know what to do. And one of the things that, that um, I've suggested uh, is that you put in, you don't have to set this up now. You just need to, to uh, note it in, your, in a trust document or a will even. You don't even have to have a trust. You can do it in a will where you would establish that um, a certain amount of money, people very seldom did it with all their money, though I, I did have a couple that did. But you establish with a certain amount of money that uh, at, at, at upon the death of somebody um, that you would leave in your will X amount of dollars. I'm just going to make up a number. So let's say you would have three children and your estate gets divided uh, by uh you know, a third for each child, then you would have half of that third going into a charitable gift annuity for their income benefit. So at that point in time, the charitable gift annuity would be established, not now, but at the death, Uh, the charitable gift annuity would be established and it would be for the income benefit of the child. The charitable deduction to establish that charitable gift annuity would go on the estate and settling the estate. So that would lower uh, the taxes on everything else in the estate because that money would come, you know, that money would, would go right to um, uh, the estate. And the income would be, begin at whatever time you stipulated in the will, they would have an income. So the other half of the third that they get in lump sum, yeah, they may blow it. I mean, they may rip through it, but at least they will remember you indicating how irresponsible they were. Um, and, the, every month, they may rip through it in two days at the beginning of the month when they get the check, but the following month, they're going to get another check, and maybe they will learn to become a little bit more responsible, and they'll get that money for the rest of their lives. So that's one thing you can do. Um, one of the things you can do is you can set up a trust so that they receive X amount of money at milestones in their life. So you can set up a trust so that at age 32, they will receive X amount of dollars. At age 42, they will receive X amount of dollars. And at age 52, they'll receive X amount of dollars or whatever you want to do. I mean, you can set it up any way you want. That doesn't necessarily make them responsible. And it doesn't mean they're going to not going to waste it or do something foolish with it. It just means that they're going to have to wait before they can do that uh, when they get the money. So certainly you can do that with it as well. Uh, And you can set that up in such a way uh, 
that, you know, I mean, it's, it's anything, you know, now the, the other option, the only, the only other option, and this may be an option too, you can put all the money in a family trust. And it depends on how much it is. This doesn't really work unless it's a, a, a significant amount of money, but you can put it into a family trust and the family trust is going to produce income and the children will be able to draw upon that income from the family trust for the rest of their lives at their death, that it would stay in the bloodline of that child and their children uh, would then uh, have income that they might be able to get to for the rest of their lives and so on and so forth. So you can set it up from a, as, a, as a net income trust where they're just receiving the income the trust produces. You can have a set amount on it so that someday it's going gonna, it's gonna to wean out. I had someone that set up a, an extremely large charitable, tr- charitable trust for their grandchildren and their grandchildren was to receive an income from that charitable trust of 13% per year. Now, his theory was that in 10 years, there wouldn't be any money left because the trust is not going to earn 13% every year. And so the money's going to run out. And that would be a way of kind of weaning the money into his grandchildren. And it worked well. It lasted more than 10 years. It lasted about 14 years. But uh, the children got 13%. I'm sorry, the grandchildren got 13% of that. So there's a lot of different aspects you can do. You can do something like that as well for your children um, and, and wean that money out. So there's a lot of ways of doing it. It's not that difficult. You just need the right ideas. You have to have a legal document, a trust document established. Uh, I would prefer documents. Uh, I would prefer a kind of trust that would establish itself at your death. And I think that makes the most sense. So you stipulate how it's to be established. What is the verbiage that is going to be in that trust when you establish it and, and you establish you know, establish it. Remember, a trust is this. If it's not a charitable trust, a tr- a trust is a, a a separate entity with its own federal tax identification number, and you know that trust has to file a tax filing every year. Taxes have to be done on that trust and the trustees have to make sure that is done. So it can be a little complicated and it can be a little bit burdensome. Um, But that's why you hire a fiduciary. I owned a trust company. So that's what I did. I managed, uh, I did those trusts, managed them and was a fiduciary. Uh, You can use a bank. The bank will fee it to death. So you can guarantee there won't be any money left at the death of whoever has it because they will fee it to death. But um, there's there's ways there's things like that you can do as well. So a little bit complicated, but it's a it's a it's a complicated question. It's sometimes hard to do, but the easiest way to do it: don't use a trust. Have it in your will that upon my death, twenty five thousand dollars, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, whatever it is, uh, whatever amount you decide for all your children uh, or a particular child is going to be set up in a charitable gift annuity. 
And at age 55 or 65 or 75 or whatever you say, they're going to start receiving income from that for the rest of their life. And that's the, the easiest way to do it. doesn't take a lawyer. Uh, you can call the foundation and you can get that set up or, or uh, you know, or any, anybody that handles charitable gift annuities. But um, that's, that's a great, simple, easy way to do it. Thanks, Jerry. Let me go to Ann in Tennessee. Hey, Ann. Uh, yes. Hello. Yeah, Ann. Um, yes. Um, this question is really for my daughter, but I'll, I'll let, let her know what your answer is. Uh, her and her husband are in their, they're about middle 30s, and they haven't started much of a retirement, like an IRA or anything. And since they're in their 30s, middle 30s, instead of middle 20s, I didn't know if you wanted to be recommended being as aggressive, uh, but I wondered, like, what could they do, like starting Roth IRA, I guess, uh, and uh, put a certain amount, a certain percentage in each, like the Israel Fund, uh, small cap, large cap, et cetera. Could you make some recommendations on that? Well, I would be fairly aggressive, Ann. I mean, I think 35 is plenty of time, and uh, they can be uh, uh, fairly aggressive. Like you just mentioned, that would be fairly aggressive. Um, and and um, the key is to make it and help it to be as successful as it can that you would deposit or they would deposit money uh, every month, if they can, as often as possible throughout the year. So if you have an emerging market, 10%, Israel 10%, small cap 10%, international 10%, that's that's 40% of your money is very aggressive. The other 60% of your money you put in a large cap growth fund and uh, not quite as aggressive as those other things, but nonetheless, a mix like that is probably in the long term that they have is going to do very well. Don't worry about it being down. Don't worry about it being up because you're worried about the long-term impact and the long-term impact is going to be good. And I would set that up so it comes out of the checking account automatically every month. Folks, you've been listening to Financial Issues. We're here every day. We're trying to help you be the best steward you can be. Sure do appreciate you being with us. I want to be a nation that is on the biblical principles and the values and the ethics that are found in Scripture. Financial issues that you need to know. Aligning morality with truth. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. All the indices... Uh, seem to be in negative territory, uh, not a great deal, not a lot of volume, but down slightly. We'll see where they end up for the day, but that's where they are right now. Let me take a quick look at commodities and just give you an indication of where, where we are from a commodity perspective. Right now, it looks like, go, um, I'm sorry, uh, oil is going to be struggling. Um, 
I, I would imagine, based on the inventory numbers that came out, and uh, obviously some are saying there are new concerns about inventories or new fears about inventories. Um, what, what's the wording they use here? Let me just look to see because it's rather funny to me. But anyway, uh, they are indicating, yeah, supply data triggers fresh concerns. I don't, I don't know how it could possibly be that there would be fresh concerns. Uh, certainly, if you're a listener or a viewer of this program, it's not fresh concerns for you. You know the deal. You understand. You get it. But nonetheless, fresh concerns, kind of comical. But uh, oil is down, by the way. We're at 46, 49. I think it'll be interesting to see us go. I, I think a, um, a number that could be uh, difficult is 44, and we may yet see 44. So 44 is certainly a possibility. We're at 46, uh, 49 right now. It's down two and three quarters, almost 3%. So uh, crude oil down uh, significantly. By the way, all the energy commodities are in negative territory and negative con- uh, territory, um, uh, dramatic gasoline's down 3%. Well, that's good because that's helping us at the pump. But nonetheless, not good necessarily uh, for for the economy. But that's where we are right now. Gold, gold's down about a half of 1%. Gold has continued to be down. Uh, we're at 1231. Goldman Sachs out this morning saying, hey, I think we're going to have gold at 1200. Really? So uh, Goldman Sachs is, uh, uh, you know, feeling like, Uh, Gold is going to continue to tumble. So we shall see. U.S. um, U.K. mortgage approvals fall to six-month low, yet uh, construction uh, continues to be up there in the U.K. And the Eurozone in general, European stocks, are looking at almost a 21-month high, uh, almost a two-year high on Euro stocks, and that's primarily due to earnings. Now, my concern over uh, in Europe and with the global economy outside of the U.S. are financial concerns. And what I mean by that is the banking systems. And I'm a little bit worried about the banking systems. Uh, I don't think they are as stable as some of the um, uh, U.S. banks. But unfortunately, our U.S. banks are very much uh, participating or have participated uh, in um, in those U.S. financial and the euro financial markets. And that could be a problem. So um, we'll see. I think that um, we are looking at a number of geopolitical events right here in the U.S. We're watching that closely. Uh, I've been ranting about uh, the state of Republicans primarily on Capitol Hill. I wrote an article about it. You can probably catch it on Town Hall. Uh, Town Hall, of course, uh, townhall.com being one of the largest conservative uh, websites, not one of the largest conservative news website. And you can catch it there. As you know, I write for them. And uh, I've been on a bit of a uh, writer's block. Um, they've been hounding me a bit. And we have got uh, an article, probably be there after lunch sometime today. I would imagine we'll have it in our newsletter as well and on our website. But uh, that is coming out. You'll get a, a take for what I feel, what I feel. And it is just my opinion, but you can take a look at that as we um, go through some of the um, things that have happened. Just to recap, we've got unit labor costs down uh, uh, up 
3%. So unit labor costs for the first quarter are up 3%, that number out this morning. That's, uh, you know, primarily due to two things. I look at it as good news. The bad news side of that 3% is probably half of that is due to health care costs. So health care costs by employers being passed along to employees, obviously, but health care costs adding to the cost that um, uh, uh, businesses are seeing. So that is an issue, and I hope it is an issue that those in Congress are thinking about as they vote uh, on repeal and replace. So we'll see, but that's probably half of it. But the other half of it is likely higher wages. Higher wages are up. I mean, wages are up. That is very, very good news, and it should be good news for all of you. It's not so good news for the employer, but it's also not a big deal for employers if it means that they are doing more hiring, they're keeping their people happier by keeping those employees employed, and that can only be as a result of either the anticipation of a very strong economy for whatever work they do, or actually going through right now uh, an uptick in whatever it is they do. So uh, unit labor costs up will be looked upon in some regards, maybe even the markets right now as a bad thing. I tend to look at a little bit more long term than what it is, than the knee jerk reaction it might be having in the markets right now. Uh, we are also seeing uh, in the first quarter an increase of 1%. That is not a small number for output, 1%. That is a pretty good number, and we're looking at first quarter output up 1%. So that's good news. The downside to that and the counter uh, weight to that is uh, output. Uh, I'm sorry, productivity. Productivity is down a half of 1%. Listen, make no mistake about it. We will not have a flourishing, thriving workforce, a flourishing economy without productivity. You can't have one without the other. It doesn't work that way. So uh, productivity down. So that's the bad news of it. But um, we got initial job claims out this morning and they sank, and I mean sank, to 19,000. Only 19,000 people in America, 19,000 people applied for first-time unemployment claims. That is a great number. Now, it would stand to reason that the markets would act in a positive way on that. They didn't. They're not. Uh, at least not on that. So, but nonetheless, that is a very good number, uh, 19,000, and a, a, a low number that we should feel pretty good about as far as the job market goes. Just saying. Something we need to be considering when we look at this. Uh, very good initial job claims number. Uh, trade deficit drops one-tenth of one percent. That's good. We could take any drop in the deficit that we can get. I think is always good news. The dollar is getting stronger. Some look at that and perceive that as to being bad news. But one of the, the big pieces that should be impacting the markets a little bit stronger than it is, one of the things would be the Federal Reserve. 
it's interesting how it used to be back uh, a year ago that when the Federal Reserve sneezed, the entire market got all rattled over something that was going to happen. And that was primarily due to the markets being propped up. And, and driven by false positives that were coming primarily from central banks around the world and the Federal Reserve. So when the Federal Reserve said something, did something, it was basically meaning that it could impact the largest prop that the markets had, and that would be interest rates. So they reacted in dramatic fashion. Not so much when the Federal Reserve now has said what they said or insinuated yesterday. Right after the break, I'll tell you what it was. Then we're going to get to your phone calls, 866-392-98. We'll be right back. You get the soil ready. You put the seeds in and then you water it. How do you plant a garden? I don't know. You pray that God will give you a good harvest. And you have to work it to get all the weeds away. And then God brings the plants. Planting a garden takes planning, hard work, and God's blessing. So does creating a lasting legacy for the people and charities that mean the most to you. The AFA Foundation is here to help you sow the financial seeds God has blessed you with in order for them to blossom for generations to come. We do this by offering free consultation and assistance in the areas of charitable gift annuities, estate planning, will and trust planning, and bequests. To learn more, call 800-326-4543, extension 345, 800 326 4543 extension 345 or visit afafoundation.net God has uniquely gifted you for his purposes you are wired for good works volunteering with Operation Christmas Child directly connects you with God's global purposes by serving year round you further the proclamation of the gospel in more than 150 countries through a simple gift filled shoebox to learn more about local year round opportunities to make disciples or to apply visit samaritanspurse.org slash volunteer with OCC Hi, this is Dan Celia at Financial Issues. Would you consider partnering with me? You know, for $85 a year, you're going to get some great information on stock picks, alert system that will alert you to buys and sells. What a great way to look at a portfolio from a biblical perspective for a small amount of money each month. Not only that, it goes to support the ministry here at Financial Issues, financialissues.org. The opening statement in the Constitution of the United States says this, that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. I don't know what part of that we don't get anymore. That was written by men who cared about this country deeply. Financial Issues with Dan Celia. So we're going to go to phones, 866-392-98, 866-392-98 here uh, in a second. 
But one of the things that is interesting is Janet Yellen's comments. And yesterday, and this is something that should give us a little bit of a sense of confidence and security in what is going on in the markets. And basically what happened was Janet Yellen came out yesterday. She had, of course, deciding not to uh, raise rates, but basically giving America a huge thumbs up on the economy. Basically saying in so many words and signaling that the Federal Reserve and maybe just Janet Yellen, but the Federal Reserve was extremely confident looking forward about the economy. Now, uh, that's based on a number of economic indicators that they watch, very similar to uh, the economic indicators that I watch. They may spend uh, slightly more time in doing some analytical work on uh, labor and inflation than I do, but a lot of the other indicators, I'm sure, are the same. So basically, the Federal Reserve statement that they made when they talked about they're not raising interest rates now, this was yesterday, they're not raising interest rates now, but signaled that uh, they were very confident in the American economy. Not the markets. I'm not necessarily confident in the markets. I wouldn't listen. Uh, if we if we hit a recession in the markets, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not that confident in the markets, but I am confident enough in the economy that I believe we are at a place now in America where the economy, the underlying fundamentals of the economy, are going to drive the markets as it should be, as it's always been, with the exception of the last eight years. So I am confident in that, and it appears as though the Federal Reserve is as well, based on what they look at. So all of that, of course, signaling that there is no reason at all why we should not see two more, at least two more, uh, interest rate hikes this year. So I'm perfectly okay with that. I think it's great because of, for a couple of reasons. One is I happen to like a stronger dollar because I think in the long term, a stronger dollar is good for America. Oh, it may not be good for import-export imports and exports may not be good, particularly for exports may not be real good for that, but it's good for America in the long run. So I happen to like that. It's good for purchasing power of Americans. I like that. So if you get a stronger dollar on top of, on top of uh, uh, wages being increased, boy, it's a double wham. It's a very good thing. So I like that. Okay. But it also gives me confirmation that I, I, I was right for the last eight years when I said there's no way on God's green earth we could be in a recovery, that this economy is recovered. Not when you have watched, and, and, and how many times did I say over the last eight years, there is no way we are at this unemployment rate, whatever the unemployment rate was at the time. Because it was wrong. It was all a bunch of smoke and mirrors in the sense that we were absolutely decimating the working population of America. So, look, 
How can you have a recovery when the president of the United States left office with 15 million more people unemployed than he had when he entered office? The labor participation rate dropping down to 1978. I am praying that tomorrow we will see labor participation rate in the 1980s. We're only six-tenths of a percent off. Six-tenths. I think we can do it. I hope we can do it. I kind of am a little doubtful based on some correlating numbers that I've seen this week, but it's possible. But it's not going to be this month. It's going to be next. But we are moving in the right direction in that every single month since December, we have seen labor participation rate getting better. People coming into the workforce as opposed to eight straight years of people leaving the workforce. So that's good news. So I think the Federal Reserve is signaling that she has a lot of confidence in the markets. We're going to still have interest rate hikes because the underlying fundamentals of the economy are strong and look as though they're going to continue to get strong. So that's good news for all of us that are invested for the long term. 866-392-98. Let me go to phones. Let me go to Lindsay. Lindsay's calling us from North Carolina. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Dan. Um, okay, I had a question. I am part owner of some land, and we are under contract to um, to sell it. And I have been advised in order to not pay capital gains tax that I could put it into what's called a um, family charitable trust, something I wasn't um, very familiar with. But I was told I could put it in there, avoid capital gains tax, and then I think also it would um, grow tax-free, just whatever, like whatever we made on it, we would have to give 5% to a, um, you know, a, a charity, which, you know, we tithe and do um, benevolent offerings as well. So we're great with that. I just wanted to see if I understood that correctly, if you thought that was a good idea, and um, make sure that's, like, not unethical or shady by any means. So you're about three-quarters correct. Um, okay. it's, it's a great idea. You can do that. Uh, I've been doing that for 30 years, moving appreciated assets. I have put everything back when I had my trust company, I put everything from antiques, um, uh, a car collection once five oil wells, uh, homes, properties, commercial properties, businesses in charitable trust to avoid significant amount of capital gains tax. So you can do that. Uh, the AFA Foundation does that uh, for various people that want to avoid. You can put appreciated stocks in it. You can avoid capital gains tax. So that is correct. The money doesn't grow tax-free, though. So the income that you draw upon that charitable trust, so let's say you have a charitable trust, by the way, I uh, just thought of, when you do a charitable trust, you have no choice about income. You have to start taking an income. And the IRS mandates that the minimum amount of income that you can take is 5% of the value of the trust. So you can't avoid taking income. So you can't say, well, I'm just going to leave it sit there and let it grow now 
uh, not you can't do that. The IRS mandates that if they're going to give you, allow you to avoid those uh, um, uh, capital gains, that you have got to take uh, an income on it. So you can't avoid that. So you would have to take a minimum, draw a minimum of 5%. You can, you can dictate how much income from a charitable trust you, you, you're going to take. That's up to you. You can do that. So you could say, I think I'll take 8%. You can take 8%. You can take 10%. You can take whatever you want. But you, once you commit to what you're going to take, you can't change it. That's what it's going to stay for the duration, for the lifetime of that trust. Now, you, and you have to take a minimum of five. You can't say, well, we're only going to take 1% or 2%. Can't do that. You got to take five. So now the income that you receive, let's say you decide, well, I'm going to take 5%. That 5% income is taxable to the people that take it. It is taxable. So uh, I don't, so, so, you know, it doesn't, it's not, the income or anything that you take from that is not tax-free from that, that point on. Is it ethical? Is it right? Of course. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to take advantage of the laws that allow those kinds of things. I don't know how much longer those laws are going to be around, but right now it's great to do that. I try to encourage people to put appreciated asset and property and things like that in either a charitable trust or even a charitable gift annuity because a charitable gift annuity will do the same thing. It won't eliminate the charitable trust. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the capital gains, but it will allow you to gain income from the entire amount. You don't have to take the capital gains out and you pay a small percentage of capital gains for a short period of time uh, and you really don't recognize it or realize it because what they do, what the IRS does, is lower slightly the charitable deduction that you might get because it's an appreciated asset and lower slightly the amount of income that you receive from the charitable gift annuity that's tax-free uh, in order to make up some of that capital gains. But, yeah, so those instruments are are... Um, you know, they're legal. They're there for us to take advantage of. Uh, they're great tax loopholes, and it's a great thing to do with appreciated assets. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Lindsay. I hope that helps okay. you. Um, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for your call. Let me go to uh, Angie from Arkansas. Hi, Angie. Hello, Dan. Um, I was wondering, I have um, a Roth IRA with about 70 k in it, and then I have about 90000 in three different set plans through my employer, and was wondering what your thoughts were on using the Timothy allocation for my Roth and then the other allocation for the set plans. Um, I think that's a fine, I think that's an okay plan. I, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't take issue with that at all. Uh, I think it's going to give you a um, a very diverse portfolio, which is great. My only question is, what's larger, the SEP or the the SEPs or the Roth? Mm, probably the SEP. I've got about ninety thousand between okay. the three, so and then what, seventy in the Roth. 
Okay. So when I come back from break, I'll give you the um, the pros and cons. I think you ought to do it. It's just a matter of which one uh, to do it with, and it's probably going to be the Roth. But I just want to give you some kind of pros and cons on doing that. But I think it's a great idea. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dan Celia for Financial Issues. You know, we live in some volatile times, and one of the things that we should be concerned about is are the investments that I'm in honoring the Lord? Well, I try to do the best I can to make sure that the stocks and mutual funds on my list are the best out there, not only from a financial and fundamental standpoint, but that they wouldn't be displeasing to God. Would you consider being a partner with me at Financial Issues. For $85 a year, you're not only going to get my stock picks that I update every week, every Monday, and my economic commentary every Monday, along with an alert system and my asset allocation models that change as the economy changes so that you can do a great job reviewing and maybe actively managing your portfolios. Financialissues.org to partner with me in the ministry. How would you describe your health care? If you're like most Americans these days, the word affordable isn't top of mind. Well, here's some good news. There's actually a trusted health care option that is affordable. It's called MediShare. Unlike insurance, MediShare is Christian health care sharing, a community of more than 200,000 believers across America who share each other's medical expenses. It's about half the cost of insurance, and it's fully acceptable under the law. And here's the best part. Because MediShare is based on biblical principles, you never pay for things that go against your beliefs. MediShare is affordable health care for Christians. Learn how thousands of Christians can help you save on your health care. For your free information guide, call 855-PSALM-23. Now available in Montana. MediShare, affordable biblical health care. Call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. Do you want to be encouraged? Let me give you a report from Washington, D.C. that I think will really encourage you. This is Jim Garlow. Once a year, on the anniversary of George Washington's inauguration, that took place April the 30th, 1789, a group of members of Congress gather in Statuary Hall, the prestigious hall right next to the rotunda in the U.S. Capitol building, And there is an event called Washington, a man of prayer. Our church has the privilege of hosting that. And our pastor on staff, Dan Cummins, who leads that, who lives in Washington, D.C., orchestrates this wonderful event where members of Congress come and beseech the Lord on behalf of our nation. I cannot tell you how encouraging it is. It's broadcast globally through Daystar Network. And then it goes viral oftentimes on the Internet. And we will get responses from as far away as Africa saying we were so encouraged what we saw happening in the U.S. Capitol. This is Jim Garlow. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. So we were talking to Angie in Arkansas talking about uh, uh, some asset allocation models for two different retirement accounts. So, Angie, the, the, uh, I think it's a great idea uh, what you want to do in putting that Roth account using the Timothy um, asset allocation. So uh, I think that's a great idea. I don't have an issue with that at all. Uh, the, the only thing that um, I would say 
that, and you can't really move the SEPs into the Roth because it would create too much of a tax burden immediately. I would, I would like you to consider when you have total control of that SEP, you may already, but to start moving some of that on an annual basis over to the Roth, I think that would be a good idea. But so here's the thing. So with Timothy allocation, you are not going to experience, it's, it's going to do great, it's fine, you'll do okay over um, you know, the long period. I think it's a great idea. But because they're not individual stocks or mutual funds, so when you have a mutual fund account, um, you're not going to have to pay anything. You're not going to worry about it because you're not going to pay any tax because it's all inside a Roth IRA. So any growth that you have is tax-free. But the capital gains that you will experience in the other account, the SEP account, that isn't growing tax-free. And if you divide up that SEP into some good, solid individual stocks uh, and, and follow some of that other asset allocation model, there is a good chance that you're going to have over the next 10 years, you could have it over a month, you're going to have some fairly significant gains in some of those stocks. So now, if you have those individual stocks and you have this uh, 50% gain, that 50% gain is going to get taxed to you as income, right? Because everything in that account gets, gets taxed at, a, at, at an income rate, which in all likelihood um, could be, I mean, maybe not, but it could easily be more than the 15% normal capital gains tax. Now, my hope is that this is not an issue because uh, under a new tax reform plan, we see capital gains tax being diminished, totally removed maybe even for those folks that are making under a certain amount of income that, that we may fall into, and it might not even be an issue. But So I just would think about that a little bit and ask you that as you get older and get closer to 70 and a half, I didn't ask you how old you were, but getting close to 70 and a half, that you would begin to start, you know, um, uh, gradually moving some of that that set money over to uh, the the Roth IRA. All right. Okay, and then I had one other question for you. I did sell my um, Exxon. Yes. And was wondering about getting back into some of that. I was thinking about the last one on the list. The last energy, possibly, the, yes, last the last energy, energy. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and and then when I wanted to put maybe just a little bit in that, which one would that be? The third one. The third one, yeah, I would probably pick the fourth one. The fourth. Um, it's it's a higher price stock, um, but if you've got a what, how old are you? Um, Forty seven. Yeah, well, the third one would be fine too. I mean, but I, again, maybe you shouldn't, I like the last one for certain, but maybe you shouldn't, um, uh, maybe should, should think about uh, reducing some of that energy position 
if you don't already have a big energy position and lower it a little bit and maybe think of some of the other things on the list and, and uh, you know, do, do the last one. I think that would be a good one uh, for you to own. But, and if you don't own any other energies and you're going to just use those two that I just, that you just talked about to fulfill that energy asset allocation model, I'd be okay with, with, uh, you know, either the third one or the fourth one, but the third one and the last one I think would be okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Angie. I appreciate it. Great stuff. Thank you for your partnership. I sure do appreciate it, Uh, Angie. It is what keeps us alive here and on the air. Speaking of being on the air, I want to thank all of you joining us uh, right now, uh, particularly in the panhandle of Texas, some Oklahoma, New Mexico. We, we, uh, I was pretty amazed yesterday. We got two phone calls from uh, listeners that are brand new, just started on Monday on about 24 new stations. Usually doesn't happen that quick that we get some calls and it's testimony to what great uh, FM stations they must be for us to get a couple calls already. But um, I want to welcome all of you, and I hope that you've had some time to listen to the program, uh, hear my heart, and hear what we're all about. And I want to welcome those 24 FM stations that we've added. That puts us up about 650 stations, give or take. And our goal is to add, uh, to get to 700 this year. I don't know that we'll do it uh, we'll see how, how, uh, what God, I think the opportunity is there, but we, we, uh, we don't want to do it just because the opportunity is there. We want to make sure that we have confirmation from God and that he raises up, uh, the resources for us to be able to do that. So we're, but we're really excited about that. So I welcome all of you. And I didn't do that. I also want to mention to you that, so we had a, uh, uh, Yvonne and I, uh, friends of Yvonne and, uh, mine from Texas, and they happened to be at our retreat last week, and um, just uh, great people, and we, and we just uh, are so grateful for their friendship, and uh, they they have uh, decided that they want to have, I guess, the biggest reunion with people they don't know yet in glory that you could possibly have so much so that they have uh, donated money to purchase through uh, preborn ministries, an entire ultrasound machine. Um, and you know how many babies that's going to save thousands, tens of thousands of babies. Uh, they, these are new, but newly reconditioned and they're in service about 10 years, some longer. Uh, once they get to the pregnancy center and 10 years is a lot of ultrasounds and it's a lot of babies at a rate of saving babies at 80% or better. What an awesome thing. At the very same week, I heard about a Houston businessman who's doing the same. And I think about that. I I know, um, you know, it just is, uh, I can't even tell you, begin to tell you, um, how grateful I am and how that is just uh, warms my heart in such a powerful way. Uh, financial issues listeners, folks, have saved tens of thousands of babies. 1.2 million are going to be aborted here this year. And it is just mind-boggling that you all 
have come alongside the doing it directly to preborn.org. But for $140, you could sponsor five ultrasounds at a pregnancy center for $140. 80% of the time, and it's usually more than that, 80% of the time, these young women will change their mind and choose life when they see that sonogram and they hear that heartbeat. And what a blessing. And we are having an impact across the nation in Los Angeles, in Houston, in Dallas, and other parts of Texas, in Chicago, in New York City, in Philadelphia. Uh, we are having an impact around the country in saving the lives of babies because you guys have allowed and been obedient to God tugging and tapping you and asking you to do this giving of $140, five babies. And if you want to not just pray and, and mourn the loss of life that we have seen through abortion, this is one way that you can get directly involved and the reunion you'll have in heaven will be glorious. I'm sure with those children that you'll, you may never know here on this earth, but what a great thing. And I hope that, um, you will you will consider it. Go to preborn.org, preborn.org, and you can get more information. $140 will save five lives. And you can dial and call right now, pound. It's the pound sign, 250. That's all you got to remember, pound 250. Pound 250, pound 250. Um, and you'll be asked what the key word is when they answer the phone. It's a live person. They'll answer their phone. They'll say the key word is baby. Not hard to remember based on what we're doing here. But um, baby, pound 250, and then baby is the key word. And you can talk to somebody directly. And uh, if you want to talk to Dan Steiner, the CEO, they will put you in touch with Dan Steiner as well. Um, and you can do that. And um so we uh, sure appreciate that. And I'm so grateful that God has chose to um, uh, allow my wife and I to vet this program and come alongside them. And God decided um, that he was going to use financial issues megaphone on these 650 stations and three television networks to help in something that I know and you know grieves his heart in a powerful way. So what a neat thing, huh? That's so awesome. So I'm so grateful. Pound 250, preborn.org, or you can go to preborn.org and um, participate. I hope you'll do that. We're going to get back to phones right after this. 866-300-9298. Financial Issues, I'm Dan Celia. We'll be right back. Dave? Over here, John. Thanks for meeting me like this. What are we doing in here? Well, you're one of the only people I know who shares my Christian beliefs. And this is the only place I know we won't offend anyone. Don't cave to the pressures of society. Stand. Blog and share your thoughts on subjects that matter. See what others are saying and join the discussion at The Stand. Visit afa.net slash the stand. 
Join Frank Turek, Richard Land, Norman Geisler, Greg Kokel, and others for Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics. It's October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Enjoy informative talks, a live debate, and a dialogue with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis. Plus, there's the premiere of the American Family Association documentary, The God Who Speaks. Early bird pricing ends August 1st. Visit ses.edu for details. Back in 07, my father passed away. My mother had passed away seven years earlier, and they left me a small inheritance, and I wanted to give back to AFA for all they have done for me. Carol talks about her experience with the AFA Foundation. I am an avid listener to AFR, 12 hours a day, and I hear Dan Celia talking about the charitable gift annuity. I liked what the... uh, gift annuity offered, donated a certain amount, and from that I get a check every month, which is retirement income for me. If you'd like to support the work of the AFA and receive a fixed income for life, a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation may just be what you're looking for. Learn more by contacting the Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. Today, of course, the National Day of Prayer. And boy, we need to continue to be praying for our nation's leaders, uh, our nation, uh, lifting up our nation in corporate prayer. Uh, I hope uh, that you are doing that. And what a great... um, as we think about uh, abortion, we can be, yes, giving to preborn.org, but we can be praying that we will see the day when Roe versus Wade is overturned. Um, you know, I have been praying that we will get another opportunity in the next three years to appoint a judge to the Supreme Court. And I am praying that happens. And I am telling you, if that happens, we've got a very, very good chance of seeing Roe versus Wade being overturned. There is nothing pending right now that would come to the Supreme Court that could see the possibility of that at this point, even with Judge Gorsuch being there. But we do need to be praying for the nation. Let's pray that uh, this president, will have an opportunity in the next three years to appoint uh, another Supreme Court justice. That means God is going to have to nudge somebody to retire. And uh, I, I truly hope that he would nudge one of the liberal judges uh, to retire so that we could replace a conservative for a liberal. This last one, Neil Gorsuch, was we've replaced a conservative with a conservative, not as big an impact, but we um, it, it was still huge for the future of the nation. So let's, as we pray for the nation, let's consider uh, all of those things as well uh, today. All right, let me go to Kevin in Virginia. Hey, Kevin. Good morning, Dan. Good, Good morning. morning, Dan. Uh, I'm I'm a member and uh, of your website, and I'm also 
I enjoy uh, saving babies. Good, and, great. Um, I have a, I have a, just a quick question for you, and it's really about educating how I read reports and things. Is I've got a stock, and it's called TSE, mm-hmm. and it seemed like it had a fairly decent report recently, but yet the stock is just yesterday it was down over four dollars, today it's down over a dollar, and I just don't know how uh, how people read these things so that they know to sell it or or why are they selling it like they are yeah it had about so, almost a four four times volume yesterday yeah i mean i i, I don't uh I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to this this report or this happening with this particular stock because uh the ceo is stepping down and anytime a ceo steps down especially a ceo after a good earnings report uh, is stepping down and because of him stepping down, I don't think they're going to issue any guidance uh, for the rest of the year, uh, or at least for the next quarter. Um, and so there's always a knee-jerk reaction. One of the greatest things that ever happened for all of the accounts in my trust company some years ago, many years ago, was, um, this sounds bad, but it didn't end bad, so it's not bad. But uh, the CEO of McDonald's had a heart attack. And I think at the time he was like 52 years old. And the stock just tanked. There was panic. And um, I bought so many shares. Uh, in four days, it recovered back up and, and continued to go up after that. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened to my portfolios. While everybody was bailing out, I was bailing in. And um, so, uh, you know, it really depends on how you look at the data. Um, I saw the numbers that came out, and I analyzed the numbers actually before they came out. And, uh, you know, they had a very good uh, earnings report. Uh, that came out. This is a company that is 20 minutes. Their corporate headquarters is 20 minutes from from where I live. So it's a it's a company that, you know, it's a local company. So I pay a little bit more attention to it. I have since since they've started. So anyway, um, you know, I'm I'm not going to make any predictions, but certainly it wouldn't be something that I'm awfully concerned about. We see these things happen on a very regular day basis, and it can be something as simple as a um, pretty solid CEO. Uh, uh, stepping down and them deciding not to provide any guidance uh, as a result of that. So it may be a, um, a knee-jerk reaction to what could happen uh, in, the, in the future. Okay, Dan. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Kevin. God bless you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, folks, it's always important to know, too, and I appreciate Kevin asking that question. It's always important to know, you know, it's very difficult for, for uh, anybody, even, even me, to look at one report and, and uh, try to make an assessment about a particular stock. And I, well, I don't mean to sound like, you know, I've had this enormous success or anything, but one of the, one of the reasons why I've been blessed uh, to to uh, uh, you know have some 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 pretty good uh, uh, opportunities and create some opportunities for other people is that any report or any data that I particularly read over a, about a company is data that I add to 
an enormous amount of data that I have in my brain about this particular company. Because so many companies are companies that I've been following for years and years. And unfortunately, and I do say unfortunately, uh, my, my wife and I for years have always made a joke about useless information I have in my brain. And some of that useless information is remembering earnings reports from 10 years ago on some company that nobody even knows who it is. And um, I don't uh, know uh, why I possess that curse. <laughs> I can't say. I wish I could say it's a gift. I mean, maybe to some it's a gift. I try to use it as a gift, but uh, it is a lot of useless information that I have in my brain. So uh, the point I'm trying to make is it's hard for anybody to look at one report and draw any real conclusions. But that one report may be the straw that breaks the camel's back based on all the other information that, that we've looked at over the last year and a half or so or two years or three years. So that might be the last thing, and that might, that might be the report that puts something on a sell list. Or it may be a report that finally puts something on the buy list. So I just bring that up. Let me go to Francis in Oklahoma. Hey, Francis. Hi, Dan. Thank you. You're a blessing in my life. You've brought me so much closer to God, and mm. I want to thank you for that. Thank you, Francis. I, um, I bought, <clears throat> okay, I bought my house and I paid cash because it was $80,000, and I didn't think I was going to find a home as nice for that little bit of money. So I paid cash and bought it so I wouldn't have a mortgage. I don't have a husband. I'm 62, and I'm just trying to... So I'm struggling. So I had $8,000 and I invested in your mutual fund that mm -hmm. you recommended and two other stocks that you recommended sure. uh, just because I only had $9,000. Well, the two stocks started going down and I got real nervous. So I put mm. uh, $8,000 into the mutual fund and I noticed that one's going down. Mm -hmm. Should I get out of that mutual fund since I don't know what I'm doing? Doing well, um, I, 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 it depends on the mutual fund. I don't know of any that I would have had on my list or have on my list now that I would recommend you getting out of. Uh, so, uh, if it's one that that at one point in time was on my buy list, but remember. It's very important to remember, Francis, same with those stocks, that anything that I recommend, the, the idea is to stay and to stay through thick and th thin because we can't just react to, to uh, uh, bad news like this person that just called me about this one stock. Yeah, it's been in the tank for the last couple of days. It's just barely positive on the year now, but I, I wouldn't get out of it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. The company is incredibly sound and strong from a financial perspective, and it's going to recover. It's going to do fine. So um, remember, things are for the long term. So I would suspect that mutual fund I feel the same way about. Uh, I can't remember having any uh, uh, mutual fund over the last couple of years that have been on my buy list or sell list. So... Uh, yes, I, I mean, I, th I think you ought to keep it. I think you need to stay in there and, and uh, ride it. Now, you know, I think, I think that's your best, you know, your best bet right now for opportunity to recover. Uh, 
So no, I wouldn't sell out of it. Uh, I would, I would keep it. And um, if it was up at one time, it's going to come back up again. And you've got eight to 10 years. Uh, and I suspect in the next eight years, it's going to do very well. So I would wait. If all of this has made you a little nervous and anxious, then when it becomes positive and it's up 10% from where you bought it, then you can sell out of it and go to cash and just kind of regroup a little bit. But don't regroup right now at, the, at, at, at a loss. I would hang in there. Okay. Thank you, Dan. All right, Francis. Thank you for your encouragement. I sure do appreciate it. Folks, I want to thank all of you uh, for being with us. I sure do appreciate it. And um, it, it is, uh, you guys uh, encourage me and bless me every day. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, I'm so grateful that God has allowed us to have this megaphone. Um, even on, you know, in, and especially on a day like today, the National Day of Prayer, when we need to be lifting our hearts up to the Lord in corporate prayer. I hope we will have an opportunity to do that. We will uh, tonight at our church. I hope that uh, you will continue, not just today, to lift this nation, this nation that is one nation under God, and we will lift it up to the Lord for his continued blessing on it and his blessing upon our leadership that this leadership would be convicted to do what is necessary to give us a strong nation to bless our allies like the nation of israel as well have a great day god bless if we ever forget that we're one nation under god then we will be a nation gone under